Good morning, everybody. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18 this morning. <laughs> she said, there's a skeleton in here. We've been hiding that plastic skeleton. It's a plastic skeleton, Facebook. It's a plastic skeleton. They found the bodies. No, it's a plastic skeleton we've been hiding from each other. I got Amanda four or five times, scared her with it one week. Bob, yeah, Bob the skeleton. We're original like that. Yes. And uh, she... Jerry. Jerry. Jerry, yeah. And she, uh, she hid it from me this week. It was behind the curtain. I had had the curtain open all week long because it's been a fantastic, beautiful week this week. Thank you. And uh, <clears throat> we amen loud around here. Amen! <laughs> We're a Texas church. We hoop and holler. I've, I've heard them get after it on those amens. You know, they get a little overexcited sometimes. They, amen! Praise the Lord, preacher. I heard a guy one time go, mow that dog! <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bubba, you're getting a little too excited now. Let's calm it down. I heard one time, <laughs> exactly, these are all questions I still have, still unanswered. Why mow a dog? How mow a dog without hurting the dog? I, I do not know. I heard another guy one time go, you got him treated, now shoot him down. Oh, that makes sense. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Still not from, from, uh, raccoon hunting. I am yeah, I just feel like the parallel doesn't quite. There are some bad connections you can make on that parallel. We gotta be careful with that one. And it's a long amen, right? Like the preacher's got to stop long enough for you to say that whole sentence. It's a bit much, you know. It's it's something you don't expect to hear in a fellowship meeting. You know, you're at somebody's church and their people are there, and we're all excited to be there. Just some random fellow who got done serving breakfast comes in in the back and goes, You got him treated, preacher! Now shoot him down! Roll that asshole. Woody? All kinds of You know what? I'm here for it. It's fine with me. That's fine. That's fine with me. We just got to turn that mic on so everybody can appreciate it. Oh, they hear. Oh, good. Matthew 18 this morning, we're continuing our series on why we believe what we believe about the church. Last week we talked about, uh, in Matthew 16, uh, the phrase, upon this rock I will build my church, and the context behind it, and what Jesus was really talking about there. Uh, In Matthew 18, we're going to see Jesus further instruct the church. Now I feel like, I know we've spent a lot of time here in the Gospels, about doctrine, about the church, on things that maybe don't necessarily show up in church debate. But I feel like if we're going to talk about church doctrine, we need to really spend some time in the things that Jesus said, right? And not just necessarily the ways we argue with each other. 
So I want us to take some time and talk about this this morning. In Matthew 18, <clears throat> there is some uh, conversation about the way a church should function, right? And uh, we get to that place of the attitude we should have toward one another here in Matthew 18, and not just as fellow believers, but as members of a functioning ecclesia or church. So we're, that's what we're going to talk about this morning in Matthew 18 uh, a little bit. We're going to start uh, in verse 1. It says, in the, uh, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, excuse me, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now that's a that's a interesting question, I feel like. Right? Because we know who's greatest on earth is usually the person with the most clout, right? They've got the most influence, you know, the person with the most money, which coincidentally also gives them the most influence, you know, the person with the most power. These are the people that are considered the greatest on earth. The president of the United States, you know, Hollywood celebrities, all of these people, you know congressmen and politicians and so forth. These are the people we consider to be the mightiest, the greatest. Well, they'll spend hours and hours running news articles and videos online about what these, just like one celebrity person has done. You know, we'll spend, they run 24-hour news cycles on what's going on in the White House and what's going on on Capitol Hill. You know, we spend so much time thinking about these people we consider to be the greatest on earth. So I think a good question, you know, when you're getting your attention off of earth and onto heaven more, which we should work on doing, that's a parallel question, right? At some point in your Christian growth, you kind of wonder, well, then who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Is it just the Trinity? Is it the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Are there angels that are going to be considered sort of really important people in heaven? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus answers their question, and it's not, I feel like, the answer anybody was expecting. Because you see in verse 2, Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says in verse 4, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. And then we see jumping down to verse 10, we'll get to the rest of it in a bit, but verse 10 says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So we see firstly is the greatness of children. And when you're talking about a church and we're talking about how a church should function, one of the most important things to know is what the attitudes of those church members should be. Right? Because you can see all over the place churches that have a bad attitude toward people. They place an emphasis where it shouldn't be placed, and they don't place an emphasis where the Lord places an emphasis. And we, we try to not be that way, but unfortunately, it, it can even be the, the very spiritual people that do that way. Even the most devout church members can begin to place an emphasis on uh, sort of the seemingly important people of the church. 
right? They'll spend all their time talking to the pastor or talking to the different deacons or the people that are most popular in the church. And unfortunately, a lot of times, what do we do with the children? Sort of shoo them away. We give them a quick answer. We brush them off as quick as we can to get back to our important adult conversations. Right? But Jesus is telling us the exact opposite. He tells us often in Scripture, it's not the rich and the wealthy and the powerful that we should be spending our time on. It's the poor, and it's the lonely, and it's those people that we should be spending our time on. And it's the greatness of children that Jesus says is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he says, why? He says, because unless you be converted. Now, we know this word converted for denominations, Right. Like if or if somebody's going to convert religions, that is where we use that word at most often. If someone goes from being a Buddhist to being a Christian, we say they converted to Christianity. Right. If somebody goes from being a Catholic to being a Baptist, we say they converted to being a Baptist. Right. But this word converted, it, it means so much more than the very limited way we use it. The word converted just means changed. You're changing something. Uh, imagine like conversions in math, right? When you convert something in math, you're changing it. So say you convert fractions to decimals, right? You're changing the number entirely. It goes from like 1 over 4 to 0.25, Right? You're changing it entirely. That's what we do. That's what conversion is, is a person changing. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying unless you change, unless you convert and become as a little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, we think of it the other way around, don't we? We think usually adults think the children need to grow up. They need to be like us. They need to be more like me. Mature, responsible adults. At some point, they need to grow up and be responsible. They can't be children forever. But you know, the Bible says, oh, that we would be children forever. Right? You know, a lot of uh, preachers will take that verse uh, that Paul wrote. And he said, uh, when I was a child, I behaved as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. If you read the whole context of that, he's not talking about being mature or responsible. He's talking about faith. He's talking about developing in your thinking toward God. Because when you start off as a sort of spiritual child, you're new to Christianity, you've recently been saved, you have to take a lot of things on faith. You say, I don't really understand how it all works, but I just trust the Lord that he's going to take care of it all for me. And then as you, the longer you become a Christian, the more you read your Bible, the more and deeper your knowledge of the Lord and his salvation works, right? But we can understand how the cross works and how the, the sacrifice on the cross works and these deeper things we talk about in Sunday school. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about growing up and, you know, becoming more mature and responsible. That's not the context. We ought to be mature. We ought to be responsible. But at no point does being childish become something we shouldn't do. It shouldn't be an insult. You're so childish. Well, what's wrong with that? I tell you, I'm very childish. I am. Ask anybody who knows me. I still watch cartoons. I prefer to watch a cartoon over an adult drama any day of the week. I just would. 
you know, uh, they've got uh, all kinds of these different shows on in the evenings now. I don't even know. I, I think there's some like medical dramas and stuff. I'll be honest. I haven't seen any of it because I'm too busy in here watching like Batman, the animated series, you know, kind of get a witness on that one. No. Okay. I've got a button for that. Who needs you? Um, oh, good. Thank you. Josh knows he was there. Uh, you know, I'm too busy watching, you know, Popeye and Looney Tunes and to, to watch any of this stuff that's, that's, it's not for me. You know, I don't go out and drink. I don't drink alcohol. I've never had liquor a day in my life. Not one drop. And I'll see people online and even heard people talk about, um, you need to grow up. Right? You need to stop watching cartoons. That's such a childish thing. You need to be a man. Grow up, be a man, watch a man's show. Uh, I saw one lady online say something. Uh, I'm not going to quote it exactly right, but she said something like, uh, I'm so tired of these little boys out here drinking soda pop. Uh, be a man and drink liquor. And that's, that's real interesting to you. Marry a man who is a man and drinks liquor, and he drinks away the entire paycheck every week. That's right. And uh, get drunk and starts knocking you around the house. Yeah. You're not going to want that real man anymore. Yeah. You know, I've seen people talk about um, even, uh, you know, in our society, things have just changed so much to the point. Video games are a thing and they're not for kids anymore. You know, I play some video games. And uh, I play like, I, I grew up playing Pokemon. So I play Pokemon. As a matter of fact, my wife's got Pokemon Go. I've got Pokemon Go. Both my kids have Pokemon Go downloaded. And we go, and we're active, and we walk, and we play as a family. But there will be some people online and some people who you talk to in life that they'll say, you need to grow up. That's a child's game. You need to play a man's game, which seems like an oxymoron to me because it's still a game, right? Like you're still playing a video game. You're not like earning money, you know? It's not like you're – uh, credit score is going up because you got a really good score in Call of Duty or something. You know, it's still a video game. But we spend too much time focusing on all the wrong things. And we spend too much time trying to sort of grow up. You know, we need to spend more time focusing on being like kids. You know what kids do? They believe. And you know, one of my favorite Christmas movies to watch is that um, the the train. Um, Polar Express, yeah. And it's I love the, the concept of that movie because he's like, it's about this kid who's right on the edge of sort of growing up to the point where he doesn't believe anymore, right? And that's the whole point, is after that night, he believes for the rest of his life, right? No matter, he grows up and he's talking and, you know, it's, it's Tom Hanks and, it's, you know, he's narrating from the, the perspective of that person, but as an adult, looking back on that time. And it says at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, for those of you who haven't seen the Polar Express, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but, you know, he says that he could always hear the bell. You know, over time, his sister couldn't hear it anymore, his parents never heard it, and all so forth and so on. But he could always make it ring for himself. That is what children do. They believe. We should be more childlike. That's what Jesus is saying here. You know, the, the greatness of children, they, they are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, because 
Jesus isn't always having to constantly go back and reassure them of things. They just trust him. And we see in uh, verse 6, it says, But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. But woe... Uh, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. For it is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye than rather than having two eyes, to be cast into hellfire. Now, this word offense that we read here in chapter 18, in the original languages, that word means the trigger of the trap. That's what it means. Uh, any of you guys ever done like a rabbit trap before? Okay, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, you have like a box out in the yard somewhere, out in the woods somewhere, and uh, the box is sort of held open by a stick, right? And you tie a string to that stick, you put a carrot under the box, or something that you know the rabbit's going to want to eat, and you walk that string far away from the box, but not so far that you can't see it, and you sort of hide out in the trees. And you wait for the rabbit to go for the carrot, and you yank the, the string, and it jerks the stick out from underneath the box, and the box lands on the rabbit and traps him. All right, that's a rabbit trap for you guys who don't know what that is. So what we're talking about with the word offenses is we're talking about the stick of that trap. It's the trigger of the trap. Right, so we're not talking about being offended. Right, that's not the trigger of the trap. The trigger of the trap is what leads us to getting trapped in sin. Right? So woe unto those unto whom activate the trigger of the trap. Like uh, if there's a bear trap set out somewhere and you step on that plate that activates the trap and it clamps onto the animal's leg. That plate is the trigger of the trap. Right? So what Jesus is saying here is woe unto those that have activated the trigger of the trap. Because now you're trapped. Now you're stuck. So what he's telling us here is to be cautious. Be careful as you're out in life. You're living your daily life. You're going to work. You're going to the grocery store. You know, you're taking the kids to school. Whatever it is that you do in life. There are traps all along the way. They're set up uh, like... Uh, Wiley Coyote trying to capture the Roadrunner. Traps set all along the way as you're just going through your daily life, Satan trying to trap you. And Jesus is telling us here to be careful under these traps. And it would be better if your leg gets trapped. He says, if thy right hand offend thee, if your right hand gets trapped in these sins, it were better for you to remove your hand from your arm and enter into heaven missing an arm than to stay trapped 
and keep your arm. Right? He says, if thy right eye offend thee, the same thing, if, if some part of you is lost to this sin, it would better for you to remove that part of yourself entirely and live the Christian life than it is to keep all of the things that you want to be a part of your life and allow yourself to be trapped by sin. So it's, it's the trigger of the trap is what it is, and that's what we ought to be careful of uh, this morning. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. So he's warning about the trigger of the trap. And as he's warning about this, in verse 10, we've talked about uh, taking heed not to despise one of these little ones. We come to verse 11. And in verse 11, he's giving an analogy. He's telling a story. And Jesus loves to tell to teach lessons by telling a story. Why? Because that's how we were created. We love a good story. That's why Hollywood has so much money. That's why, you know, celebrities and actors and stuff, that's why they make so much money. It's because they have found a way to monopolize on this thing of human beings love a good story. So he's telling this story here. He says in verse 11, the son of man has come to save that which was lost. Right? Because we just got done talking about the trigger of the trap and offenses and you know, your right arm or your, your foot or your eye being trapped in sin. So now he's telling them that I am what comes and saves from that sin. He says, how thank you if a man have a hundred sheep, one hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray. Doth he not leave the ninety and nine and go into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? Uh, and if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went on, which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So, and again, this whole thing, we're speaking of how Jesus Christ, and, and it's important to note this, is placing an incredibly significant, important part of church ministry on children's ministries, right? On an effort being made to reach children with the gospel. <clears throat> because a lot of times people will say, well, I just don't see that in the Bible. Well, I'm sorry, preacher, I just don't see that in the Bible. It's right here. We just read it, you know. I think a lot of times, you know, the gospel, it's, it's too complicated for a child to really understand it the way they need to. You know, really, you know, you can't appreciate the gospel until you've sort of lived out there in the world for a while. So the people that get really saved are the people that have gone out there and, and lived sinful lifestyles, and then they get saved and come in. You know, all these kids that get saved early on and they never go out and experience life in the world, they don't appreciate their salvation as much and they're just not as dedicated as other people. And that, that is a bunch of baloney. I, just, I, I can tell you right now, there's nobody more dedicated to their faith than myself. And I, I've never gone out. I've never done drugs. I've never drank. I've never slept around. I've never done any of that nonsense. And there's nobody alive more dedicated to their faith than myself. There might be better Christians out there, for sure. There's nobody that loves the Lord better than I do. You know, I, I'm not perfect. I, I sin. I'm as bad as anybody else. 
I'm no better than anybody else out there for sure. I've got things I need to work on in spades, just like all of us. But when it comes to loving Jesus, nobody can say they do that best, can they? Jesus put an incredible emphasis on children's ministries, but also notice what he said about the sheep. You've got a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders out into the mountains. There's no doubt that a shepherd who loves his sheep will leave the 90 and 9 in their pen and go climb a mountain to go save that one sheep. Right? How many of you guys having a pet, if the pet went missing, would not walk up and down a hundred streets trying to find your pet? Wouldn't stop, wouldn't rest until you found your pet. That is what he's saying he does for us. The people of this world are sheep. And he is out seeking to save that which is lost. And it parallels with the trap. We go out in the world as a sheep. We wander from our Heavenly Father, even as Christians. And we're wandering and we get distracted by the world. And it's easy to get distracted by the things of this world. And before too long, lo and behold, we get caught in that trap, right? And as one of his sheep, and he comes along to save us from that trap. That's not only saving the sheep in a sense of salvation, it's saving us from the, the traps of sin that we find ourselves in throughout the week. He's got to come along and save us out of it. The stray lambs. When we go from stray lambs to uh, another kind of stray in verse 15, it says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven." And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So we see the stray brother. That's what we're talking about in these verses, 15 to 20. We're talking about the stray brother. And we see Jesus lay out uh, a list of, of steps that we're to take if one of our brethren goes astray. Right? So the first thing we do, the first step, if you have a disagreement with a brother and a sister in Christ, step number one, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Right? This is an important step that so many Christians get wrong. If I've got a problem with you, Jesus says, I go and talk to you. Just me and you. We don't include everybody else. Just me and you. We go in a room and we talk. You know what most churches do? 
They get their group of friends together and they whisper in the corner about the guy on the other side of the room that they don't like. And God forbid any righteous man stand up and say, this isn't right. We shouldn't do this. If you've got a problem with him, let's let's hash it out. Because they will not listen to you and then you won't be invited to the club anymore. And it becomes politics instead of honesty and upfront like Jesus wanted. I was working at a church one time in a specific ministry that the pastor called me into his office and he said, you're not working this ministry anymore. I said, why? What happened? He said, well, I've been receiving some complaints about the way that you run your ministry. I said, well, what were the complaints? And he said, well, uh, you know, nobody got hurt. You know, nobody, uh, nothing, nothing happened. But there have been some, you know, some people that said that they didn't appreciate the way things were happening. I'm like, okay, well, let's bring them in here. We'll talk it out. We'll figure it out. He said, no, we're not going to do that. Well, I said, Pastor, why not? He says, they don't want to talk to you. I said, well, I understand that, but we should work it out. It's my brother or sister in Christ. He says, we're not going to do that. I said, okay, you go ask them if I can talk to them about it. He says, okay, I will. And I kid you not, it, it may have been a few hours later, the pastor come up to me, he goes, I asked them and they said no. Okay, pastor. That's not the way churches should be run. If any pastor hears two of their people are having an issue, should go and deal with that directly. Anytime something like that happens, the answer should be, okay, well, let's go get them. We'll bring them in here and then we'll work it all out. But unfortunately... What I experienced wasn't a rarity. That's just the way it works all over the place now. Pastors trying to carefully preserve their tithers so that the business of the church can thrive and succeed. While the will of our Lord gets lost in the shuffle. So, one brother, you go and talk to him. And if he will not hear you, you go and you talk to him, and he's still mad at you. He's not going to listen to you. Then you go and you get a couple of other um, solid, mature, sober Christian friends. And in a spirit of compassion and brotherhood, the three of you or two of you go and try to talk to him again. A brother who has lost his way, they've, they've fallen in sin and the disagreement and they refuse to repent of it. And you go and you talk to this brother. And you, you're, you're both there together and you're not ganging up on him. Right. You're there as friends. But he still won't hear you. Right. Because that's the next step. You don't put him on full blast. Right. That's the next step. Couple people, let's go, let's talk about it. It's still a problem. Still won't listen to the two people. Then you know what you do? You come to the church. You come to the pastor, the pastor goes before the church, and we say, Listen, brother so and so is going through some things right now. We need to pray for him. You know, we need to let him know that we're here for him. And we need to pray that he comes back to the Lord and comes back to church. And you might say, well, that sounds awfully judgmental, but it's not. Because the word of God is written out for us right here. What we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do. 
And if a brother finds himself in obvious error of God's word and refuses to repent of it, refuses to change his ways, it is our obligation as a church to do everything we can to help that brother come back to the Lord. And if they won't, they bring it before the church, and we won't. The next step, it says, that let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, here's the problem a lot of churches have. They'll say, oh, heathen man and publican. That means we stop talking to them. That means we don't invite them to church picnics. That means we treat them like, uh, like a stranger. We don't eat lunch with them anymore. Right, heathen man, publican. No, that's not what that means. That's not how Jesus treated heathen men. That's not how Jesus treated publicans. That means to say this. You say, okay, brother. That's the decision you're making. Then I'll just have to learn to live with it. But I want you to know I'm praying for you. And if ever you decide to come back to the way of the Lord, we are here with open arms. We're not judging you. We don't hate you. But if you ever want to come back, there's a family of church people here that'll be happy to see you. Because that is the problem, is that when a sinner comes to church, they're treated the way that Christians think heathens should be treated instead of the way that heathens should actually be treated. They treat them like the way publicans used to be treated instead of the way that Jesus used to treat publicans and sinners. How many conservative Christian churches here in the state of Texas have you been to where a guy, maybe a, a bald man, he's got tattoos all over the place, he walks in, maybe he's wearing a, a t-shirt or maybe a shirt that doesn't have any sleeves on it or something, maybe he's wearing like a leather jacket or something, and he comes in, uh, is not every eyeball in that church going to turn to that man and scowl at him? Do you not think that people are going to be worried for their safety around that man? Do you not think that mothers will clutch their children near to them at the sight of that man? People will be whispering what kind of drugs he's there to sell. You know, I saw, I think it was Ryan sent me a TikTok the other day, and it was perfect for this kind of an attitude, where it's this thing some churches do where they'll have the kids go out and do the soul winning. And it happens, and it happens a lot in churches. I see some heads nodding because you've seen it before. I see some funny looks because it sounds like a really bad idea. That is because it's a really bad idea. Uh, and also, it's dirty, right? Soul winning isn't something for children. It's something for mature Christian adults. Um, but the kid is knocked on the door, and the guy answered, and he says, hello, I'm here inviting you to my church, you know, like a kid does. And he says, oh, good. The guy says, oh, good. I've been looking for a new church to go to. The kid spots a tattoo on the guy. He goes, oh, um, actually, I don't think you can come to our church because you have tattoos. And my mommy said people who have tattoos, uh, they go to the devil. So many things wrong with that sentence. I don't have time to, but like, that's not where the devil is, first of all. Second of all, like, of course they can still come to church if they have tattoos, but every church says that, right? Everybody's welcome, but we've got a coat full of clothes in the back just in case you're not wearing what we think you should. You know, every church is welcoming 
until the pastor starts preaching about putting the homosexual back in the closet and lighting it on fire. So I've been to, I've, I've heard that sermon personally. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> some things it just, you know, you want to, you want to look at the world and you want to go, I, you guys, I'm, I'm sorry for my idiot little brother, yes. uh, you know, but and, and so the kid ends up leaving and the guy was like, oh, that's a shame. I was looking for a good church to go to. And the point of the video was uh, your kids will reflect what you believe. Right. But that's the point is like you say one thing, but then do something else. You know, anybody who comes into the back of a church, they should be welcomed. No matter what the situation, no matter what they look like, no matter what fears you've got going on in your own personal life, that's not their problem. If you're in a church, you're a Christian, you're a member of that church, you represent Jesus. And I don't think Jesus would have been clutching the children away, cutting looks at the guy with tattoos. I don't think he would have been doing any of that. I don't think Jesus was looking to light anybody on fire. You know, at some point, we just stopped being a church. You know, and I know I'm getting off on a rabbit trail, and I've tried to stop myself, but goodness gracious, at some point, you're not being a Christian, all right? That's not what a church is. At some point, you're a uh, Republican social convention. That's all churches have been watered down anymore to all we stand for is whichever political affiliation our state happens to be in. Do you know why Southern churches are closed communion? Because that's what conservative churches believe in. You know what they do in northern independent Baptist churches? They do open communion. Yeah. And if you're in a southern church or you're going to a southern Bible college, they will tell you that's just what all Baptists do. But if you go up north and do the same thing, they will tell you the same thing. Open communion, that's just what Baptists do. That's our traditional doctrine. We have watered down Christianity to all it stands for anymore is whichever political affiliation our state happens to stand for. Because that's the crowd we're going to gather in, is politically minded people. People who want to see a preacher stand up and preach against what the president is doing that week. If we're in a conservative church, we're going to preach against Biden. Right. Earlier in, in, in this decade, we're going to preach against Obama. Right. That's what people want from a pastor anymore. Nowadays, if you're in a liberal church, you want to hear people stand up and preach against Trump. You want to hear somebody stand up and preach against President Bush. Let me tell you something. We've got more important things to talk about. The church has been so wimpified and watered down, pastors are sniveling behind their desks like little cowards, afraid to irritate their, their congregation because a big tithe check might walk out the door. God bless us. Christians need to get back to the place where we represent Jesus. Amen. Not the president or not the last president we enjoyed. But the Lord Jesus Christ himself, not everything falls into a party line. You know, I am going to quote one president. That's President George Washington, who gave a long speech that, in summarization, I quoted the speech one time on Facebook, and every comment on the, the, the speech was, I have no idea what this is saying. 
at all. Can you tell me what he meant by any of this? Which is like, well, then maybe you should, uh, you know what, that's a... <laughs> right toward the end of his time in political office is when political parties began to emerge in America for the first time. Because, you see, before that, we used to do this really weird thing. It's kind of off the wall. It's called thinking for yourself. You know what they have in, in these polls? You guys have been voting before, right? If you're too lazy to think for yourself, they have a box you can check that's just straight Republican or straight Democrat. That is what's wrong with this country. I'm with President Washington, who said that that will be the poison that kills our country. You want to talk against brother against brother? That's brother against brother. Let's get rid of the political parties and have people actually do some thinking. Let's stop letting Fox News and CNN tell us what to believe. Don't go to church and wait for your pastor to tell you who to vote for. Because we got more important things to talk about here. We're going to talk about the kingdom of heaven. There's one party there. We're going to talk about the things of God. We're going to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about the verbal, plenary, inspired, emphatic, and powerful word of God. I don't have time for the president. He's not important enough for this pulpit. You want somebody to talk to you about that? There are 24-hour news cycles you can go watch. This isn't the place for it. we got somebody more important to talk about. That's not how you treat heathen men. That's not how you treat somebody who disagrees with you. Because we're not running political churches. It should be something more than that. And we treat people the way that our politicians tell them to treat people. You know, I used to have a lot of respect for Temple Baptist Church. They started Crown College. I graduated from a school called Crown Southwest and Norris Bible Baptist Seminary. And it was a fusion of those two schools. And after I graduated and things fell out between the two groups, I saw that in his church he began to invite politicians behind his pulpit instead of preaching a sermon. You know, whether you're Democrat or whether you're Republican, there is a group of pastors high up in the political world that influence politics. That should not be the case. There should be a separation of church and state. I believe that. But we should have more important work to do. We shouldn't have time for the president. There's poor people living under a bridge trying to survive the night. Maybe let's spend less time on Capitol Hill and more time giving them a bed to sleep in. Lord help us. This is all important because this is what a church should be. This is why we believe what we believe about the church. He says, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Listen, there's power behind an ecclesia. There's power behind a church. There's an authority that goes up to heaven. For whatever we pray for as a group, God is moved to work. Can you imagine a force on earth so powerful it can put God to work at something? That is the power of a church. 
Whatsoever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatsoever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. There's a power of the church. Prayer is one of the most important things we can do as a church. And he says this, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And in closing, I want to leave you with that thought. You know, this church is by nobody's definition a big church. Most of the members of this church are members of my family. We're grateful for everybody who comes here. And, you know, it's never been a pastor's first hope that that's the case. Because you hope that you have as many people that aren't family members as you do that are. But that's not the way it shook out. And there are going to be people who, especially younger pastors, who are going to look down at what we do and say, well... Clearly, the Lord's not blessing what he's doing. They're going to be the same pastors who will look over here and say, he's holding church out of his house. Right? That church, they're meeting in a house. Clearly, you know, that's not what a church should do. Let's reread this verse. Where two or three, not 20, not 30, not 200, And not 300, but where two or three of any kind of person, family, not family, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, male, female, are gathered together in my name. Not in a large building, not in some grand building. building you can't afford on top of the biggest hill in town, wherever the church happens to meet, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus is as much in this church service as he is in the largest church in town. He's here as much as he is there. That is what we believe about the church.